Hi there and welcome to The Deadly Dose. At Deadly Ed, our mission is to ensure anyone, anywhere has access to authentic Aboriginal education. This podcast is for anyone looking to build their confidence, overcome barriers, or just to learn more about Aboriginal education and culture using the experiences and knowledge of us and our deadly guests. This is episode one. This is The Deadly Dose. Yes, welcome to episode one of The Deadly Dose. Uh, my name's Josh Brown, a proud Warramai man, and I'm joined by my ever-deadly co-host, the Radjuri Warrior, Courtney Ruby. Courts, uh, thanks for joining me. Yes, I am so excited to be here, and I'm really excited about this whole series we are putting together about all these wonderful deadly things that we can get educators doing in the Aboriginal education space. Yeah, and look, as, as we've uh, mentioned at the start of the episode, um, we want to help anyone and everyone, uh, whether you are wanting to learn more about Aboriginal culture because you don't know much about Aboriginal culture already, those who are wanting to relearn what they might have already tried to do and might not have succeeded, but they want to you know, try again and, and learning more things as they go along the way to people that, that are really experienced in this space. Um and what we want to, I guess, provide is, uh, I guess, a, an opportunity for anyone to connect in with this podcast series, uh, whether we can answer any questions, queries, issues that you have, how can we help you overcome any barriers that you might be experiencing, whether it's a school, whether it's your workplace, whether it's at home, uh, what is it uh, that we can help you with? And that all really comes back to not just our experiences, uh, but the experiences of all the deadly people that we're going to have uh, in this series as well so yeah really looking forward to uh connecting with all these different people uh, whether aboriginal and non-aboriginal people as well um and what can not just we'll learn obviously a lot ourselves but what can you take away uh, from this podcast at the same time but what we'll do is um i guess we'll just tell everyone a little bit about ourselves first so they know exactly who they're listening to so they're not sitting there going who are these two gamma fellas that are just rambling on about something. Um, so, of course, you want to tell us a bit about yourself. Absolutely. Definitely not Gammon. Uh, we're Radri woman. I was born in Dubbo. I live in Newcastle, beautiful Newcastle, on a Wobbicle country. Um, I have been a teacher for the last few years, teaching his in English, although taken a break from teaching. Um, I've been learning my language during my break from teaching, which has been really cool and connects me with culture in that way. And I have been spending my time working on some cultural collaboration projects with a few different publishing houses and educational mobs, you know, bringing truth-telling to resources that mm. we are producing now. around. Very important. Absolutely. Um, but making sure that people have, I guess, a uh, – a well-rounded understanding of what truth-telling is because truth-telling mm -hmm. can be different for lots of communities and yep. lots of different people. So it's important that people are mindful of that as, you know, this new buzzword is being thrown around in yep. educational spaces. Um, and I also spend my time 
with the Stroke Foundation and the Young Stroke Project, bringing some cultural collaboration there as well. Excellent. So many different things, Courts. Just, uh, you know, where does where does she find the time to fit in life? Who knows? Lady of leisure. There's always uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very good. Um, look, myself, as I said, uh, proud warrior, my man from up in uh, Foster, um, also known as God's Country, as we all know. And <laughs> and um, yeah, look, also uh, qualified teacher. Started my career as a uh, PE teacher, but have since um, gone down different paths and avenues. Um, so, yeah, I guess most recently um, at the Royal Botanic Gardens, but it finished up there. And I guess luckily, luckily enough, am now a part of um, what we're you know continuing to grow, which is called Deadly Ed. Um, so Deadly Ed, Deadly meaning you know pretty good, pretty mad. Um, it's a positive word. It's not dangerous. We're not you know no one's gonna die. <laughs> Um, that's what I mean by deadly. Um, and then, yeah, there there is no one called Ed. So if you're looking on the website and you're thinking, who is this Ed fella? You're not going to find him. It's not Fast Ed from Better Homes and Gardens either. There's no one called Ed. Um, it's short for education. So, um, yeah, had had a few funny conversations, people wondering who Ed is. No, it's not some random founder from a few islands away. Um, short for education. So, Yes, um, that is Deadly Ed and uh, all about bringing Aboriginal education um, to anyone, anywhere. So if that's something that you feel like we could help you with, uh, certainly get in contact, www.deadlyed.com.au. So uh, what we're going to do today, Courts, is I guess just talk a little bit about um, our own experiences, certainly when it comes to Aboriginal education in school, not necessarily just from our teaching or professional perspective, but what was it like for us growing up at school as well? Because I think it's pretty interesting. Like for me, there's certainly things that have significantly changed but then also look at the flip side. <laughs> There's a lot of things that definitely haven't changed, which you would yes. have thought, how is this still happening today? Look, ask myself the same question all of the time. <laughs> yep. Um, let's start with schooling, school-wise. Okay, so, Courts, you want to tell us a little bit about your experience um, around Aboriginal education at school when you were at school? Yeah, so I have two very different experiences. So as I mentioned, I grew up in Dubbo. So going Dub, to school Dub there. Vegas. Dub Vegas. Love mm. that. Yeah, absolutely. So going to school there it was so different to going to school in Newcastle. So in Dubbo, you know, if you don't know anything about Dubbo, there is a large Aboriginal student population in schools. I think um, it might be the second largest now in New South Wales. But because there was such a large cultural presence in our community, culture was in school and it was normal. Like, you know, yeah. I thought it was normal going to school and, you know, you've got an auntie there greeting you every morning. She's in the classrooms. There's culture happening in the classrooms, cultural activities and excursions happening. And that was my experience. So I thought that was that was cool. I just... Yeah. You know, that, that stays with you as, you know, a young person. But then when we came to Newcastle, complete opposite. You know, um, I went to a school where 
the Aboriginal population, student population, was very limited. So out of yeah. like 1,200 kids, there might have been all up 50 maybe at most Aboriginal yeah, okay. students. And that was, that was a high school or was that K to 12? At a high school. So... Yeah, there weren't there weren't many Aboriginal faces, and mm. so therefore, you know that that cultural experience just was not there. You know, being mm. such a minority population, you know that doesn't excuse not doing Aboriginal education, but I think that was the excuse for not having present, consistent, ongoing Aboriginal education. So, yeah, it was a real cultural shock to come to school mm-hmm. in start year seven and go. Um, Where's the culture? Yeah. <laughs> it's so normal and it just was not there. And is it sort of like when you sort of, I guess when we compare Dubbo to Newcastle, was it sort of as if your experience going to school in Dubbo, do, do you feel like that's what we mean when when that whole sort of, I guess that buzzword around embedding cultural perspectives into our classroom is that what you feel like Dubbo kind of represented was exactly that, that it actually is embedded into just the way the school works and the way the school runs is that it's just a part of all different elements. It's not just, oh, culture is only present around July time. (laughs) July time. (laughs) Look, you know, as a kid, it's hard to make a sound judgment on that, you know, trying to to get back into that mind frame. But I guess – When I think about it, yes, while there was culture in the classrooms, it was delivered by Aboriginal people. And that's Mm -hmm. always good, obviously. But, yeah, now that I think about it, I don't know. I don't think a lot of the teachers actually took it upon themselves to embed Aboriginal perspectives. Gotcha. Just on, you know, Aboriginal education. Yeah, relied on the others to lift you know, lift the bar and take on all the weight of that responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, because some of those things back then where you see that a lot of that responsibility was on the Aboriginal people working the school that certainly make up the identity of the school, but yet the cultural load and I guess having to teach people and kids about culture still just weighed solely on them and then there was no kind of accountability on teachers. Uh, to take this on themselves. And so <laughs> when we go from being a student in that environment, we've now gone into teaching and we still see that still today. Um, yes. And we haven't been to school for, you know, quite a while. I won't say too long because we're not that old. Um, has to be <laughs> fair. But, um, yeah, it's. I think these are the types of things that are just a really – and I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word shocking, but it's sort of like – it comes to a point where it's like, well, what what are we doing? Um, what is happening in our schools? Are we actually wanting to get past these things or are these things going to continue to roll on each and every year and that way 10 years' time we're still going to be talking to whether it's young teachers, whether it's teachers that have been in the education system for 20 years saying, well, it was still on me to kind of deliver everything. Yeah, well, we can hope not. Mm. But... You know, it's up to each educator to take some responsibility in this space. I mean, we talked about this in our articles. It's in policy, but it's up to everybody to 
turn policy into action. Yeah, and I think, look, it's really important and what we want, I guess, everyone to, to take away from this is that we all have the responsibility and we all need to, I guess, adopt some accountability in this space now, uh, particularly with, you know, curriculum continuously changing. And when I say changing, it's certainly evolving. Um, it's now including different points of Aboriginal education or, or cultural learning in the different curriculums, which is awesome, which is great, which is what, you know, we've been wanting to have for so long. But we're now looking at the other flip side of that and that's saying, well, you're now telling, you know, 200 and you know, over 200,000 teachers that you have to be teaching this stuff without, I guess, anyone getting any sort of formal learning, materials, resources, or just general support, even mentoring support in this space. Um, and look, if, if when, you know, when you mention the word Aboriginal culture, if people feel a bit awkward, just, just when someone says that, like Good that's a big job. issue. Yeah. yeah, like that is a really big issue. So that's what we're hoping that, you know, this podcast series can help anyone that feels like that um, to overcome these types of things. And how can I actually be a bit more accountable in terms of what things can I start to do to alleviate that kind of anxiety or that I'm constantly sort of treading around on my tippy toes or, or I just I don't have the confidence or I don't know how to actually approach people in the community um, or it might be the fact of, I've tried to contact people in the community, but no one wants to get back to me. What do I do next? What's the next step? So um, they're the types of things to really think about. I guess my experience at, at school, and I think that's the, the thing that sort of carried on with me into now was that when I was at school, the, the biggest thing that really stood out was there was always people or mentors or people that gave you good examples of what you can be when you're older. Um, and I think that's probably not reflected on enough is that no. Aboriginal, a lot of Aboriginal kids when in school, you need to be showing them or introducing them or connecting them with people that they can say, oh, hey, I want to be like them or I want to do what they do. You know what I mean? Um, and I think I was pretty lucky in that regard that, you know, um, in Foster and then also at Tunkari there, we did have a, a lot of really great people uh, around that were able to mentor a lot of us because, um, look, as many Aboriginal kids at school, you experience a lot of, you know, things around racism and stuff all the time. Like you ask any black fellow and they would have certainly had many experiences and examples they can give you. Um, and so I think for me that's – that was one of the things that stood out a lot from a positive perspective is that having people and mentors around you that can help support you, whether you are feeling a bit down from what someone said to you or how they acted towards you and help you sort of overcome those things and to help you, I guess, learn more about your culture. First and foremost, that's probably the biggest thing. Certainly when it comes to this space, Aboriginal education, we need to make sure that all Aboriginal kids actually feel you know, strong, black and deadly about their culture first and foremost. Um, and that's what I guess one of the things that I guess has carried on with me um, ever since I left school is that I want to make sure all kids, all Aboriginal kids certainly feel like that. But then I think as well that on the, I guess, flip side of that is I want every single person to make sure that they know something about Aboriginal people and about Aboriginal culture to begin with. I think it's really interesting that you say that, that you had all of these wonderful Aboriginal role models because I think you will find that 
lots of Aboriginal teachers who, you know, or students that go on to be teachers, they're becoming someone, you know, perhaps what they couldn't see, you know. Yeah. They're they're wanting to be that person of, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't be what you can't see and I get that, so I'm going to be that person for (laughs) another Aboriginal student or Aboriginal students wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And I think there's there's so many of the of the people that, that we definitely know in our sort of education teacher network that have gone on to be teachers for exactly that reason. Um, they didn't have anyone that when they were growing up, but they want to make sure everyone that comes after them has at least someone that they can turn to for, for guidance or support and just to learn more about culture. Um, it's really important. So what do you feel like in terms of your experience in terms of Aboriginal education in schools, since you then became a teacher, what's been your experience? Mixed, but mm-hmm. not. I feel like when we talk about this topic, you know, people immediately go, "It's all negative stuff," which mm. it's not always. You know, I think the best thing about being an Aboriginal teacher is making connections with community, particularly Aboriginal students and their families. I think those relationships that you can build are really meaningful and they're lifelong, like you would agree, right? Yeah, and, and I think on that on that particular point is that it's actually really beneficial, not just for like us as a teacher because you get to connect in with local people, particularly if you have to like if you get a job at a place where you didn't grow up in, you haven't lived in before, and you're like far out, like you're looking around like, I don't know anyone here. <laughs> um, surely there's some black fellows here that I can connect in with. How do I even do that? So not just from a, I guess, personal perspective of like oh, I get to, you know, get to know more people where I'm going to work at, but I guess it works both ways. It's not just the students but also the parents have now someone that they can connect with on more than just a very surface level approach like, I only saw the teacher at parent teacher night and that's about it. So it's someone that I can that I can actually go to about my child and talk about things that might be affecting them from that cultural perspective. Um, yes. not just the assignment or the work in the classroom or the effort in the classroom or what they did at, at the athletics carnival perspective, the surface level type of stuff that we often see between teachers and and parents. We can I guess be a bit of a a contact person for people, not just parents, but people in the community? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think those I think those relationships with students and their families and therefore the community, you know, really drawing on that cultural well being is a great part of being an Aboriginal teacher. But then, of course, you know, uh, the universal experience is Aboriginal education, you become the role model, you become the A leader. source of all knowledge. <laughs> whether you ask to be that leader or whether that leadership is put onto you, mm. that, you know, I think that is a universal experience where you then become the person that people come to when they are looking for resources or they want to know more about a topic or, you know, any sort of cultural events that might be happening within learning communities. Mm -hmm. You are that person and that's tiring. And that's, and like when we, like when we're talking about this in particular, it's not the fact that like, oh, you become the source of knowledge as if it's like totally a negative thing. Like it's definitely a positive in terms of it can really build people's confidence. 
But I think the, the thing that a lot of schools really need to understand, accept and move forward with is that not all Aboriginal people know every single thing about culture. They don't know every single answer to your questions. So don't assume that they know every single thing about a particular topic or just to put people on the spot in like a like a whole staff room kind of setting because um, I've seen <laughs> I've seen that at times. I, like, look, I've been in those situations as well, but I was able to obviously answer questions. But there's been a lot of times where other people get put on the spot and they're just like looking around like, well, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to yeah. do? And I think, like, I, I think educators, you know, people that work in educational spaces, they forget that Aboriginal people have different strengths. You know, mm. not everybody can play teach. Not everybody is a dancer. Not yep. everybody is an artist. Not everybody is good at, you know, creating resources or telling stories or, you know, we all have different strengths yep. to our cultural, I guess, toolkit. So, mm-hmm. you know, expecting that every aspect of Aboriginal education can come from one Aboriginal teacher or, you know, however many people might be in a school. Like it's, yeah, you just, you can't have those expectations of people. Yep, yep, 100%. And, you know, when I guess I look back on, you know, myself being a, a teacher um, in, in a school when we're looking at Aboriginal education, to be honest, I feel like most of the things that I've experienced just, didn't necessarily had changed much since I was a student. Um, you know, there's still a, still a major majority of people who, you know, I guess it's not that and this is the thing. It, everyone knows something about culture, but there's still this kind of level of or lack of confidence to talk about what people know. Um, that was evident when I went to school and it's still very much evident today. Um, and it's, I think it, it's not, and this isn't the responsibility of any Aboriginal teachers. This is a responsibility of just every single person that sits in a staff room that sits anywhere within the school, no matter what your role is, you can just start talking about things that you know, right? But yet when it comes to this topic, it's all of a sudden it's like this taboo thing. It's like, no. oh, no, like how I, I can't share that. Like I'll get, you know, persecuted, persecuted and put on a cross and stoned to death or something like <laughs> that. So, um, yeah, I think f- for me that's sort of the more alarming things I've seen is that we just we need people just to start talking more about what they know to others around them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think – you know, drawing on what you said, this whole idea of accountability, you know, obviously teachers don't want to get things wrong, but then by not doing anything, they're Mm. not actually, you know, owning that. Okay, now because I don't know anything, I'm not doing anything. And Yeah, yep. And I think that's that's it. I've always said to people ever since I was in my first year of uni was just doing something is better than doing nothing. Like. If you might be doing the wrong thing, but you're going to learn what the right thing is, and you're only going to do that from trying something. <laughs> um, it's not to say let's just go out and just just be totally disrespectful and just put out just ignorant racist stuff and be like, oh, well, I didn't know. So, like, I think there's there definitely gets to a level of what what we mean by doing something, but it comes back to well, it needs to be a team effort approach. Um, at, at the end of the day, and it can't fall onto one person, and it can't fall onto just 
Aboriginal people can't just fall onto a non-Aboriginal person. They, they might be passionate about it, but you can't just put things onto one person either. So, again, when it comes to this topic, uh, when we're talking about accountability and how do we raise the bar in that sense, it has to come back on everyone. So, really, from this, it's just looking at, hey, what's one thing? What's one thing I'm going to do this year? All right? What's one thing I'm going to learn more about or what's one thing I'm going to do whether it's in a school, whether it's in my workplace in regards to culture, just do one thing because it might be more than any other year. <laughs> but we can all, if we all do one thing, there's more than one staff person that works in a, any workplace or a, or, a, or a school. If you've got a workplace of 20 people, that's 20 different things that's going to occur. Um, and that's how you start to build up accountability and that's how you start to build up the confidence um, in that particular space. Now, what I wanted to ask you, Courts, was what do you wish, what was one thing you wish you learnt about more in school about culture that you now know? I don't actually think it's anything about culture as such, but Mm -hmm. I think, you know, talking about how there was such a limited Aboriginal student population at my school, I think it would just be more cultural presence. Okay. Well, actually, no, I I take back what I said. Perhaps more culture, you know, whether it be cultural events, culture in classroom, just the fact that, you know, culture is a normal thing to engage with in school. Mm -hmm. And and it's around more than once in a year. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's more than an acknowledgement of country. Yeah. At the assembly. assembly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. Um, I think probably one thing that I wish I learnt more about, which I now know, and that's from going and getting a job at the Botanic Gardens, was I really wish I learnt more about bush tucker and 80 plants, all right? Because growing up, I always, for some reason, thought that Bush tucker is just a thing you see on TV and they're out like in the outback and they're just scouring down these like massive trees and pulling out these friggin' like massive grubs and stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, we don't really have that here. Like, you know what I mean? And I now look back on that now and I look at a lot of places that we go around to, like whether it's preschools or primary schools, high schools, wherever it is, a lot of kids have that same thought process. When you say, yes. oh, we're going to learn about bush tucker that's here, they're like, what do you mean it's here? No, real black fellas, they're out in the desert. They're somewhere that is not <laughs> on the east coast of Australia. Despite yeah. the fact that most <laughs> Aboriginal people live on the east coast of Australia, would you believe it? Get on mm. the ABS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're here. We're on the coast. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that I've learned more about um, through my professional career growing up. But the thing is, it's like unless you've got either people in your local area or if you've got just the resources to teach this stuff in your local area, it's just not going to happen. Um, it's just going to fall back onto what people are seeing on YouTube or they're seeing on Facebook or TV and that's just they're not in the same areas where those kids are. So I think for me that's the one thing that I wish I had learned more about um, growing up. I guess on the flip side of that, I can't be too harsh on myself, is that learning more about native or learning more about plants, it's funny, I didn't really care that much about plants 
growing up. I actually probably destroyed more plants. And I know my mum will def- definitely back this up because she'd get so heated um, after I me and my mate would constantly destroy her plants playing cricket. And I'd be like, get over it, mum. Like, they're just plants. Like, I can whatever. see you doing that. Yeah. Move on. Um, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, she, she certainly laughed when I uh, got a job at the Botanic Gardens. Um, yeah, she thought, oh, well, better let them know they're just plants. Uh, <laughs> look at you now. No. So, yeah, look, I think, you know, I wish I, I learned more about that. But I guess the thing is that what are, the really positive part of that is that we're seeing a lot of schools and a lot of principals are on the front foot with this and uh, putting in a lot of, I guess, bushhacker gardens or veggie gardens and stuff like that and introducing that hands-on learning for their kids um, and the importance of that to their staff. So uh, I think that's really been the positive as well. Yeah, and I think it's good to see, you know, that bushhacker spaces are now more than just an aesthetic thing for schools to have. It's really good to see that, you know, there there is more hands-on engaged learning, Mm -hmm. you know, with – native plants and obviously you know there are all those great benefits to the fact that it's excellent for the environment because they're native Mm -hmm. yeah and that's exactly right and it's not just about oh we've got a we've done it we've got a bush chakra garden or we've got a yarning circle we've we've got an indigenous garden to uh, like sort of celebrate that we're doing cultural stuff it's more the fact that we need to have green space that we're introducing kids to and not just green space as in oh we've got a field where kids can run on, like how do we actually educate kids in green space? And that's really one of the ways. Um, Appealing to the senses is one of the best forms of teaching and, look, native plants certainly do that, things you can smell, feel, taste, Um, and it's about just getting kids to try new things, not to be so scared about nature. Um, It's certainly one of the things that I've seen. Definitely, like in the city, uh, particularly uh, where there's limited bushland or limited green space, a lot of kids are becoming more and more scared of just walking around in the bush, like walk, like just walking around greenery. And it's, I don't know, like what have you have you seen anything on like that around Newcastle? Look, I can't say I have experience with that, but I'll believe you. Right. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I, if it was, you know, scared of, you know, places like the beach and stuff, maybe that's more up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> Blue bottles, see you later. <laughs> Do I want to look at the beautiful pig face? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Courts, what's, what's one, I guess, piece of advice that you would give to someone if they're wanting to embed culture more into either their school or their organisation? I think you need to look at the why first. Like Mm -hmm. why do you want to take on a particular initiative or create a particular program or learning experience? Like why do you actually want to do that? Because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as we see more people become more engaged with Aboriginal education, it's important that, you know, we get people to do do things with meaning. And Mm -hmm. so if you can articulate some sort of reason why, it's important to you and therefore it's important to your community that you're presenting mm-hmm. your ideas to, then I think that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you need to be aware of who you're trying to provide for and how you're going to do it. Yep. Very good. And I guess 
to, to add to that, if you were a principal or a company CEO tomorrow, or probably not, yeah, we'll say, we'll say tomorrow, what would be <laughs> a new initiative you'd introduce to staff around culture? Oh, that's a good one. I want to say cultural awareness, but that's so broad. Like what mm. specifically about cultural awareness? Um, yeah, what's the one – I guess what's the one topic? When we're talking about cultural awareness, what's the one topic do you feel people might not be either – they're either missing right now or they have missed when they've done cultural learning or training before? I think for people to understand – why you know communities can be the way that they are now like understanding mm-hmm. the historical factors that impact you yeah. know why yeah. communities do things That's the way that they do why mm-hmm. communities you know are particular about how they do business um, mm-hmm. and how they interact with people yeah i think people you know they they seem to go okay we get that the history is there but i think people sort of miss that it can also vary from community to community, location yeah, to location, yeah. like, yeah. you know. Like the, like the I, local context of community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You okay. know, because people, people forget that, you know, what's happening somewhere else mm-hmm. two hours away from them or even 20 minutes away from them yeah. is different to what can happen, you know, around your workplace or around your school. Mm. Yeah, it's actually, that's a really good one because I guess you, you can apply that not just in the school setting but, I guess any business setting in that you can't apply cookie cutter approaches yeah. where like every single place um, and we sort of, we come back to, you know, the Aboriginal map of Australia. If you don't have that IATSIS, go and purchase it, put it up somewhere in either your staff room office, in your business front entrance way somewhere because that understanding that all Aboriginal cultures and communities are all different is a really massive one that I think a lot of people still miss that that aspect and they think that, oh, well, I did this at this last school, therefore, of course, it'll work at this school. Not necessarily the case, right? Same when it comes to businesses. Oh, well, we did work with this business in this area or we then moved or our other office, which is up north, wants to do the same thing, but yet none of the Aboriginal businesses want to do that. And it's like, oh, but but why? So really yeah, understanding what is the local context, not just the broad Australian history of Captain Cook or Arthur Phillip, whatever, <laughs> Lachlan Macquarie. Yeah, we get that. What we're saying is what is the very localised history of your area, as in has there been conflict in your area between the different Aboriginal communities? Has there been instances where there's just been culture not present at all and it's trying to be revived? Like what is it? And going out and learning more about your local community, I think it's it's something we talk about a lot. Yeah, and Blackfellas are always saying, you know, talk to your community. And when we say talk to your community, we're not just saying, you know, go and find one person, see what they think. We're talking about, you know, getting to know your community and 
what uh, well what has affected them in the past and how does that affect how they do business now yeah that's what we mean yeah it's getting out and just not just oh i went out i talked to one person it's getting out and just being present around the community as well um that's also a thing but we'll certainly touch on that in much more depth um in a later episode about how we can uh connect with our local community a uh, bit of a checklist um so I guess for anyone that is, I guess, starting out, um, Courts actually writ, has wrote, written um, <laughs> a very uh, deadly article um, and that's just, look, five deadly ways you can advocate for Aboriginal education in your learning community. So this is really, I guess, for anyone that's, I guess, a bit lost um, or they just don't know where to start or they don't know where to kind of restart this kind of journey of just cultural learning and embedding culture into not just their own lives but also into the professional uh, context. Um, so, of course, you want to quickly run us through what your five ways or tips are? Yeah, so we have come up with a bit of a, a list where – it's a bit of a process, you know, where you start at one point and then perhaps progress through. So reflection is the first one. Um, as I've mentioned earlier, you know, reflection and finding the why or what you're doing is also <laughs> really important. It's where you need to start. I don't think that giving the advice of just starting is good. We need to reflect. Um, our second one is listen and, you know, talking about what we were just saying then, listen to the needs of your community and what they think, what they feel is important to draw on. Um, we have learn, which is about cultural learning. You know, what do you know? What do you not know? What are the gaps in your learning and how can you how can you fill in those gaps? Um, we've also got this whole idea of centering First Nations voices, which, you know, if you're facilitating Aboriginal education, then obviously Aboriginal education has to come from Aboriginal people. Um, and the last one, which is a really important one, it's a big one. Well, they're all equally important, but, you know, be considerate of Aboriginal people's time and energy that they mm-hmm. give, you know, to workplaces, to to educational facilities. And that the fact that you're not probably the only person coming to them either. Um, they might have an abundance of people coming to them and people might not necessarily reply to you the next day or the next few days or the next week. Um, so to consider that. And I guess in terms of how do I – where does this apply to on the sort of the timeline of wanting to do things? As I was saying before, doing something is better than doing nothing. This, These five things is what you need to do before you start doing something. So I just want to make that very clear in that you need to kind of go through these five steps and really understand what level you're at after you read through those five things and really thinking of, oh, hey, I don't actually do this. I don't actually know what this is. If you have any of those kind of answers after you read any of those five, that means that's the thing you need to focus on first before you start doing something. Um, This will certainly help you a lot, not just now, but definitely into the future. And when we, I guess, become or start to become a bit more confident in what we're doing and we can kind of start to lead things by example within our own school or workplace, we don't have to actually be Aboriginal either, but we can actually be a really good advocate and ally in that space. This is something that we can pass on to other people that want to get involved as well. So you can say, all right, you want to be involved? Well, firstly, 
look at these five things. Do you do those things? Um, I think that's probably a fair thing to, to probably pass on to people. What do you reckon, Courts? Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're someone who thinks that they are doing Aboriginal education, sorry, Aboriginal education well, it's a good article to read and go, hang on, like, let's stop for a second, let's check in. Am I doing all of these things? Am I giving, you know, the right amount of time to these things? Am I stopping in and reflecting mm-hmm. on what I'm doing? Am I, are there things that I, I don't know yet or things that I need to learn about? Am I still listening? Are the to my community are the conversations are they still continuous you know just because you talked to someone two terms ago last term a few weeks ago you know where are you at with that so I think it's this is for everyone you know whether you're starting again as we've said trying again or taking a minute to just stop and reflect yeah it's actually it's a good point you bring up because we can actually apply these five things at the end of each I guess year um, at the end of every calendar year when we sort of are reviewing what we've done as either a, a classroom, as a school, as a business, as a whole you know, corporate entity, whatever we are, we can actually sort of look at these five things and say, hey, how, how do we actually score ourselves? How do we rate ourselves on these five things just after each year? So it's another it, – it, look, it could be a really great tool for just reviewing what you've done um, so that way you put yourself on the right path and a positive path leading into the, to the next year and, and whatever other, I guess, cultural type of programs or initiatives or just things that you want to accomplish um, moving forward. Well, look, that pretty much uh, wraps us up uh, for – episode one here uh, of the deadly dose so look courts thanks so much uh, for joining me Uh, thanks for having me uh, look pleasure as always um (laughs) and look really keen to uh connect in with all of our different guests that we've got lined up um as I've mentioned at the start of the episode, if there is things that, you know, we can potentially help you out with, whether it's with answering a particular challenge that you're currently having or a barrier or just want to learn more about uh, Courtney's life, um, living the high life, um, certainly send us uh, in your questions to info at deadlyed.com.au. Uh, we'll certainly uh, be putting the link to that article as well into the show notes. Um, but look, uh, that's it, Courts, for episode one. And um, we will see you all very soon. And a big Marling Boo. Thank you. Thank you.